Danzig coming in at the top of the interview. Today on the show, we have Keith Kenny. Keith Kenny is a singer, songwriter, multi instrumentalist out of New Jersey. He does a solo show in which one guy plays guitar, sings, drums with multiple drums. So he's a one man band, and it's really, really cool to see. I recommend checking out his YouTube and diving into some videos he's got there because you really get to see the talent this guy has. Um, Keith has an album coming out. And it's either came out by now or it's about to come out. It's called A Lifetime Ago Motel. Um, it was recorded over a few years and then really put together over the pandemic. And it's a really cool batch of songs. We're going to hear one of them here in a little bit. Another really badass thing about this album is Sim Kane from the Rollins Band. And the Dean Ween Group plays a couple of tunes on it. Um, and we get into the story about how that happens and how um, Keith met um, Sim. But before that... Here's here's a tune. Here's Moonchild off a lifetime ago motel. Keith Kenny off the album A Lifetime Ago Motel. 
Uh, before we get any further, this podcast is mixed by Studio 44 CLE. Studio 44 CLE, if you have any audio needs, visual needs, streaming needs, make sure you reach out to Studio 44 CLE. Our man Jay will hook you up and make your stuff sound great. Also, if you can like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast and any of the podcast platforms, including such as Apple. If we get some more Apple likes or comments, that's going to help us out a lot. It helps me keep talking to cool people and sharing those insights with you. So without further ado, we're going to jump into the interview. Here is Keith Kenny. Hello? Hey, Dave. Hey, Keith. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Awesome. You good to row? Yeah, I'm good to go. Okay, cool, cool. Awesome. So we'll jump right into it. How have you been? I've been I've been good. I've been excited to uh, get this new album out, and um, you know, also kind of, you know, just in the midst of the quarantine, trying to figure things out. I feel it. I definitely relate yeah. to it. It's been, I don't know. It's kind of cool and kind of awful. I imagine yeah. for someone like you, you're kind of a road dog. Like you tour constantly, so this has to be like a huge mind fuck. It it really it's pretty bad. Um, it, I was kind of thinking about it today. It's it's one of those things that kind of comes in waves for me. Yeah. Um, like I'll have a day where I'm excited that you know oh, I don't have to do the road thing right now, and that's great. And then other days it's just like, man, this sucks. I yeah. can't be on the road even if I wanted to. And um, it's one of those things that when you do it all the time, it does kind of become a job in a way. Right. Um, but at the same time, it becomes something that, you know, these are adventures that that's what it's all about. And so I'm, I'm definitely missing that right now. I can relate to that. I had like one gig in Chardon, Ohio, which is an hour away from Cleveland. And it was like, yeah. oh, I was, I was like, oh, this is like, this is like driving out to New York or Jersey or something like <laughs> yeah. on the road again. Yes. And then it's just like, yeah, right? and I wasn't even playing. I was just streaming a thing for a friend. And like, I, I don't know, I, I it's weird because when you're living that nomadic, like hustling lifestyle, it's, it does, I'd imagine it, it you have to have a, have a, a certain mindset to be able to endure that because it is nothing but work. And someone like you who, sorry to cut you off, but someone like you, who, no, it's all on you, the performance, you're probably doing the merch, you're doing the booking, you're, I don't, you know, I mean, you're, you're the one man do it all thing that gets to be extremely exhausting it, it definitely does um I, I definitely got used to it over a few years and right it got into a little bit of a rhythm where you had finally kind of opened a few doors that you knew were going to be open the next time you came through and cleveland was actually one of the really good ones because um i had some really really good gigs in cleveland yeah um uh, yeah i mean you played the with big them. thing was uh opening for the Dean Ween group there opened a huge door because that was at the Beachland Ballroom. Nice. And yeah. that was just like, that was one of those like dream come true moments uh, as as an artist to just be supporting a band you really admire and, right. and then getting in front of an audience that resonated with what you do. So that was just huge. And then, like, after that, it was kind of like a follow-up to see. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to be able to go and just play the Beach Slam Ballroom now as a um, solo act, as an opener. But um, I was able to play this place called Coda, which was kind of a newer venue. In Tremont with Micah? Yeah. 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 And, yeah. Uh, man, that place is awesome. Right. And 
I feel bad for them right now because I, I don't I don't know what's going on with what they're doing. If they're, I'm, I'm sure they probably can't have shows. Yeah. So, um, but we did a bunch of follow up shows there, and they all went really well. That's awesome. So Cleveland, Cleveland was like, it was always one of my favorite places to go. I mean, shows are always a blast there. Well, yeah, I was looking into it. I'm like, uh, I saw my buddy Micah. You guys played. That was like 2018, I think. Uh-huh. So was that the same year as um, the Dean Ween at uh, at the Beachland? Uh, yeah, that was okay. probably the first follow-up show. Gotcha. Yeah, with Michael. Yeah, he was awesome, too. Yeah, he's a super cool guy. I think he just got a band together, and he does that whole, like, Les Claypool slappy singer-songwriter thing. Like, Yeah. So yeah. you two on the bill, I was like, oh, that's a sick bill. Like, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. But, uh, um, that's awesome. I didn't realize Cleveland was, uh, one of the first nights with the Dean Ween. Like, uh, yeah, that, because the first tour we did was, I think, Indianapolis, Detroit, and then Cleveland. And Cleveland was, without a doubt, the, the highlight of that first part of the run. Sick. And it was just like, oh, we're in Cleveland now, man. It was, it was, it was <laughs> yeah, when an you... obvious reason of why they say <laughs> Cleveland rocks. It was, it was killer. That's awesome. Yeah, um, the Dakota, the, the kind of touch on I ran into the sound guy last night. I did a, a, I've been doing a week of stream shows to get, um, so I do music. Was that Dan? Huh? Yes, Was Dan. Dan, yeah. <laughs> He's going to be so stoked. He cut his hair and his beard so he looks completely no different, right? <laughs> and like, I, nice. Yeah, at first I'm like, is that Dan? Like, I, 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 I introduced myself as, I'm like, hey, I'm Dave. He's like, I know, I'm, I'm Dan. I'm like, oh, sh- <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> he's probably getting that a lot now. Yeah, especially because that that was kind of his thing, you know what I mean? Right. But um, Coda's been, like, shut down. They've done some streamy things, but, like, they're not doing anything yeah. at the moment. They're planning to do some things um, in the next couple months. So That's good. Right. And, like, during the initial shutdown, shutdown, they used their parking lot. You know how the parking lot's right on the side of it for the yeah. fancy restaurant um, above the Coda? And for anyone who's listening, the Coda is like this sick, um, almost like your dad's basement, but in yeah. a venue. You know what I mean? Like the back wall exactly. coated with all these sick, like classic rock bands. And like, it's just a super cool vibe. And like the people, people just come there, even if like they don't know who's playing, people just come in there and hang out. It's a really good natural yeah. draw for um, touring acts and just like anyone that's supporting there is like, you, like you've said, uh, like you experienced, it's a good time. Um... But they were doing things out in the parking lot, and they had, like, this crazy cool, like, platform stage. It was rad. Oh, nice. They got to do some outdoor stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Now it's completely different. And the Beachland has been streaming the whole time. They've been doing stuff nonstop, and then they did the whole distance shows and stopped in yeah. November. And I think they're picking right. it up in a month. Yeah, I think I'm just starting to get, you know, it's end of january now and um my last like real performance was november we had an outdoor thing here in jersey and um that was awesome we're at and it just it was just at a brewery called um uh red uh red silo brew works or something and it was it was awesome man because like it, it happened to be like one of the really last nice days here in november so people were excited to just be outside because it was unseasonably warm and uh and then i I got to play a couple sets and it's kind of like a a little bit of a release and then i kind of knew like oh man it's going to be a while before 
Yeah. You get that real energy right. of of the the actual thing. Live streaming just doesn't cut it. It's it's a different kind of stressful and it doesn't quite have <laughs> the it doesn't have the reciprocation like with comments and emojis that they mm-hmm. don't fucking work. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. It's a different kind yeah. of stress because, like, now you are the digital sound man, and exactly. your audience is hi- now hired hands. Can you hear this? Can mm-hmm. you? You know what I mean? Like, right, um, right. And before, so to get going, it takes like twenty minutes of the thing, and by that time, you've it's like busking in, in a weird, a digital way, where like, yeah, people are people are scrolling by, right. and <laughs> you got to catch their attention right quick if they're gonna hang out. Exactly. Like, um, but you've done really good with that. You've raised enough money to get those red vinyls, which is going to be sick. Oh, uh, thanks for checking that out. Um, I, I have been lucky with, you know, just over the years. It, I've noticed, especially as like a DIY artist, right? You don't, you don't get this massive success that everybody, like, thinks right off the top of their head. Yeah. Um, it's more like you meet one or two people maybe in a couple different cities that really get inspired by your work or like really dig what you do. And for some reason that person wants to support you and they want to see you keep doing it. Uh, It's very different than I think the model that, that most artists want to get to, which is just, Oh, I have tens of thousands of fans and they're all giving me 20 bucks for (laughs) the album. It's, you actually find like, you know, okay, well, maybe I don't have thousands of fans, but there might be like a hundred, you know, and, but the fact that all of them will at least chip in to make sure that a, a record comes out is, is huge. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I try to just be grateful for that every day. Cause it's easy to compare yourself to any other artist who's right. you, as it's obviously they're, you know, making more sales and stuff like that. But, um, you kind of are grateful for those that you did connect with. Definitely. I can see like, well, it's, it's when you're in the mindset of doing the music as the business, when you take it on full time, like you have, you, you kind of gauge that success or that, um, what you should be doing off those bigger acts, but it's almost like accepting, not accepting, but appreciating what actually is happening and like you and what you do is so inspiring because it's all you and like this is you're taking everything on and the you're going to meet people who are in that same situation and doing the same thing and knowing that you can do it it, it's that fuels them and they want you know that 20 dollars means way more that it went to you directly than to someone who has a bigger platform and who may have like um, you know, millions of followers and gets twenty dollars from them, but a homie from Cleveland gave twenty dollars to to you personally. Right, right. You know, what I mean, that's way more moving for them and for you. Like, that's badass. Well, I think like kind of your what you're saying is is you can feel the direct support from right. the actual fan. You know, as opposed to once you get, I think, to a certain level, you get signed to a major label deal or, um you know some some big break happens for you right. then all of a sudden you know you got a manager who's getting the 20 percent. you got your agent who's taking another 20 percent, and then um all the other people the you gotta pay to get you know there's, there's so many so many uh moving parts that it starts to get a little 
watered down and and yeah your that fan is is you know still supporting you but that money's getting cut up and you, it's not like a direct sale yeah so there's something special about this like early level of just kind of trying to appreciate like man that guy threw in 50 bucks so that i can have a red final <laughs> like that's awesome Fuck. yeah you know Definitely. and uh so I, I was i was really surprised that we met the goal because of the timing felt awful because yeah. i had been working on this record for so long and um it was always like in the background because um i had been touring and uh recording some other bands and just gigging and you know you're just like on this constant um treadmill right so uh then you know the quarantine happened and i'm still kind of putting the final touches on this thing but it's like well do i release it now because i i, I don't know how i can afford it because right i can't go out and tour on it and i can't do a, a release show which is usually a, a pretty good means of making some of the the money back for some of the expenses right and so i, I you know I, I sat on it for a while and then finally i was just like you know what i'll just throw it out there and see see what happens and not take it too seriously if, if it doesn't go because you know people are having really tough times right now definitely and some people are killing it i mean some people are are working harder than they've ever worked before because of the circumstances um so i just i just threw it out there and, and luckily it it um it made it so i was able to put that deposit down for the vinyl and actually it's like a perfect timing for the interview because the test pressing came nice. last night yeah i got my first first listen to the actual test pressing of the vinyl how is it so is it um, you know you know what i it's hard for me to tell right now because I don't know if my turntable is playing things mm. a little fast. Right. But for me right now, the tempos are fast and I'm actually noticing a little bit of a pitch change. So I got I to gotta get it on a couple different turntables. I don't have the best uh, turntable out there. It's gotcha. a pretty kind of cheap knockoff model that's been used for a while now. So it, it could have some kind of a speed issue. Oh my god! But, that's like um, such I gotta a, check it out. <laughs> that's like a, such another level of mix worry. You know, what I mean, you you get your oh, mix, yeah. then you get your master, and you're like, well, do I listen to it in the car? The headphones. Well, in the car, it sounds like you know, what I mean, like now, right. now on the on the on the janky vinyl player, like on the yeah, record player, exactly. like who do I know that has a good one? Oh, they don't right. want to hang out. They wouldn't want to listen to my stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. That's exciting. Yeah. That you made it, like, that's so cool. And the fact that you got it, like, that is this the first, like, vinyl you've done like this? This is the second. Um, okay, because vinyl's the, big as far as money-wise. It's it's expensive as hell. Right. And um, it it takes a while to get your get your expenses back on it. That's uh, That was the huge relief with the fundraiser because I don't yeah. think I would have done it otherwise. Um, but I did get to press the last um, record to vinyl. Same. And that was kind of a similar situation where um, I had done a crowdfunding thing, um, but I had I had spent way more money on on production last time because I had worked with a really good producer named Justin Gwip, who's up in the up near Woodstock, New York. Yeah, and um, he it was just such a like he opened my world up as far as like what the studio is capable of and what you can do with just some very basic recorded tracks. And um, it was such an honor to work with him, but you know it was costly too. So right. it was just trying to get that money back for the the time that we had spent. 
So we were able to do that. And then as a bonus, I, I figured like if we could earn the, like raise the, the money, I got to press this, the vinyl with all the, the work that went into it. So I, I went ahead and did it and it was, it was really awesome. So this is the second, second go. And um, I'm equally as excited because this one was a little more of a independent adventure. Yeah. So what, like, what did he show you you can do with tracks that you didn't see before? Well, I I kind of learned on so many different mediums as a kid because I started recording uh, when I was like 12 or 13 on yeah. like a four track, a cassette, right. you know. Right, so did and, I. Um, well, like, you know, had to buy the tapes, right? And like, Yeah, buy the tapes. And um, I don't know, what what did you have? I had a Tascam Porto to the cheapest one you could get it was pretty a, much. Yeah, I had a Tascam. I can't remember the numbers. Um it was silver, and it had like four sliders and four gain. It, it was pretty. For, yeah, so that's that's nice. Like you right. had a nicer piece than I did. I mine, I think only had two. It was uh, like a stereo. Okay. So it was only two tracks, and it was so hard to record on because <laughs> you would put down one track, and that was fine. But then when you try to overdub, something really weird would happen where the over like the overdub would be doubly loud hmm. as. what you were recording over and i also had no idea what i was doing (laughs) because i mean i was like 14 you know so i'm just plugging stuff in and it you make the sound you see the fader go up you're like i'm good and then um after that i got like one of those kind of digital all-in-one recording stations okay um like a Tascam thing yeah, well, I got I went to a Korg. It was a Korg D sixteen hundred, and that was like a sixteen track digital recorder that would record at like forty four one sixteen bit. Like it was CD quality. Nice. <laughs> and you could burn a CD right out of it. What? <laughs> yeah, sick. like it had it, it was a two X burner like uh, built in. Yeah. No shit. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fancy. Oh no. Yeah, it was fancy, right? <laughs> and so that was like what I recorded my first like proper album on um that goes like way back to 2008 yeah and so i'm i kind of learned in all these different mediums because eventually like pro tools became the kind of standard or logic or whatever like all people are using now right but i had i was kind of like riding the wave where well i have this d1600 so let me get as as far as i can with that until i have to buy pro tools right right so I'm like working in this digital box and it was really hard to mix on because once your tracks are in there, I mean, there was like reverb and stuff you could put it on it, but it was very limited. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. can only have a certain number of effects on each track. And then there was like mastering tracks, but I honestly didn't like understand the whole picture back then. I was, I was kind of learning as I went. So when I went and got my first album mastered, I learned just a lot about like the type of resolution and and how to get your tracks properly to the you know mastering guy and all that stuff. Yeah, just transferring the files is <laughs> yeah, a I learning mean, curve itself. It was, exactly. <laughs> like okay. it, it might sound really basic right now, and I'm I'm probably dating myself, but it's like. Yeah, that was a big deal back then, you know? It's like, just how do I get these tracks to him the way he wants them? Right. And so then I went, and that was like one of those, like, aha moments where I did the, I I sat in with, uh, on the mastering session, which was, 
it's kind of rare. A lot, a lot of times mastering guys just want you to send them the tracks yeah, and they, they do their thing and they send them back. But this guy was cool. He, it's like, it was a little extra money, but I sat there with him for like 10 hours and we mastered the thing. And, and that was great. Cause I, I got to kind of see what that process was like. And it was so eye opening and cool. And, and, um, I know I'm giving a really long explanation. No, to your, no, this is your, your question. <laughs> like it is, it is a we. it's a process like for me that I, when I was learning about with, I play in a band called C level letter C dash. And yeah, I'll get I, in, I did check out oh, a little cool. bit of like, uh, the, the podcast and, and some of your stuff. So I'm, Thanks. I'm excited to be on. So I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you checking that out. And that's what many people do, but uh, put a pin in that. Cause like it, it relates to some other questions I have later, but yeah, learning like I work with this guy out of Solon and like he like does a really good job of explaining all this like I I'm a guitar guy I don't know I, I you know what I mean I need I'm open to learning everything like right because you need to do that like I look at people like you who are hustling and doing it like he's doing it all himself that goes back to the inspiration thing and like that's why people are so moved I imagine like well at least I should talk about myself that's why seeing people like you and hearing people like you do what you do is so inspiring because you know what if everyone else bails I can still do it because look at <laughs> you know what I mean but um so that whole process it's really confusing because you don't think much of oh a remaster like as just an yeah. average listener you're like it's still the Beatles it still sounds cool but like yeah. that whole process of what has to be remastered and what it's playing through and the idea like that seeing someone do that taking that final mix and doing those minor tweaks so it sounds cool in a car and on a phone. Is a big right. deal, and it is all like minute little things that you. I don't know. To sit in with like a real deal dude to show you how to do that for ten hours is exhausting, and yeah. like it's probably really hard to get yourself out of what he's listening to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you hear your yes. performance and hear you, and to kind of step back and be like, "Well, he's listening to these frequencies, and not necessarily like." I don't know. So that that sounds badass that you got this experience to do that. Yeah, so I mean, like with the like I was saying with the first record on kind of in a real old school format, I just took my tracks to right. you know get it mastered. But that was you know I, I didn't learn all that much about like the mixing process and editing. Right. So then I was I had kind of advanced into Pro Tools, and that was another huge learning curve. Like I yeah. had just like getting my shit set up was a nightmare. You know, like um, <laughs> yeah getting the computer right and and when i was doing it like a lot of this stuff wasn't as easy as plug and play um i think now when you buy the computer and a lot of it you plug it in and it works and it's amazing but um i i had some serious like you know you get to you had to do all these little tweaks to your system to make sure that um like your interface was talking to your computer the right way and and it's it's gotten a lot easier, I think, and way more accessible for people, which is great. But um, I so I once I finally got my stuff working, then there were all these like plugins and um, just different uh, ways to record the yeah. tracks that I I was learning all as I went. Um, so when I brought my tracks up to Justin in New York. I was like burnt out on them. I had heard them. I heard these little mistakes that were there, yeah. but the take was really good. And he heard it and was like, no, this is good. We can work with this. I'm like, really? Cause <laughs> I am 
like I can't do anything else with it. And he was able to show me little like editing tricks. Yeah. Um, just just a way to you know make uh, you know kick drum sound huge and right. and things like that and it transformed the whole recording to a point where it's like oh well now we can add stuff on top of this and yeah. this will be sick. Um, but really, he showed me how to edit stuff in a way that was really efficient. Um, how to how to record with playlists. I don't I don't know if. Um, you're familiar with that. I wasn't familiar at all. Um, but it's basically just like a way of comping where you can, you know, record a, a vocal track, let's say, and you record it five times, but you yeah. can pick the oh, best gotcha. five spots. You nice, know? nice. Um, yeah, yeah. They call it either comping or, or working with a playlist in Pro Tools. Okay. Um, I wasn't familiar so, with the term, but with the yeah. process, yeah. Right. Um, little tricks like that, which I, I knew were out there, and I guess I felt like kind of a, I, I think I had kind of that Kurt Cobain attitude of like, I want to keep my music pure. Right. And I want the take to be the take. Um, but at the same time, there's been so many amazing records that are put out that are done in a little more of like a forensic kind of right. really pieced together way. And so that made me look at it a little differently. Like, all right, well, this is just how it's done in certain situations. Like it's okay. Yeah. To really dial in and look at your vocal performance or really look at, is that kick drum on time? Um, right. Certain things like that. And then just finding out like, okay, I didn't record this to a click and maybe there are some imperfections, but at least it doesn't feel like it's changing in time. Yeah. No, that's a big um, one. I, th I think yeah. it's, um, it's it's weird because the medium which we consume music is much more digital, and yeah. like uh, I I'm not sure how old you are, but um when I grew up, you know, grunge music was the thing. You know what I mean? Like at yeah. least it, with the generation of my high schoolers, like that want the rock that still rocked was like Nirvana and on, and like Definitely. Red Hot Chili Peppers and Sublime. That was like the the nugget of stuff, and all that was like just like you said, very, the take is the take. This is raw as fuck. Um, yeah. But it's with like how music's put out now, it's almost like that. It, it, it's taking the step to take a more digital approach in a more. Um, so uh, music is just so perfect now. Everything can yeah. be quantized, everything can be yep. auto tuned. And like if you don't do that, like you don't get in that weird realm of being accepted because like oh sounds weird you know what i mean like and but it's, it, so there's a balance of finding that like um digital like support and authenticity which is what's yeah. tricky yeah and, like yeah so i agree with everything you just said like having to well, learn to accept that was a big deal <laughs> i had done i had done some records where i was just like all right you know what this is the take i'm right. gonna go in the studio set up my rig play and do two overdubs and then i'm done Right. And I put out an album like that and I'm um, I'm happy that I did that, but then I also will look back, I'm like, man, that song was solid. Right. And I can think about it now, like if I had kind of taken the time to call that a demo and and then really try to produce it, I might have came out with something a little like more accessible to a wider audience, but you never know. So I don't know. I always think it's kind of worth the shot to give give the song the best shot that it's got yeah, yeah well um, put. but it, it can be tricky because 
no matter what you're you've already heard it too many times and you start to <laughs> you start to hate it a little bit you're like man this song again like, I, I don't even like it anymore you get the time right. and you don't see you're looking at the, the, the tree and not the forest like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the big thing for me is like um i appreciate you kind of saying like you know you're doing it on your own but the truth is um I, i'm not i i always have like some musical friends come right. by yeah. and they kind of bring the sanity back where, sure. you know, you show them the track and they go, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but what if you did this, you know, just little ideas here and there. And it kind of helps steer the ship a little bit because you do get tunnel vision, like you said, yeah. where you just can't, you got to take a break from it. And, and it's, uh, I, okay. I didn't, I didn't a hundred percent think it was all solo dolo. I assume you're working yeah, with yeah. like somebody somehow somewhere. I mean, I was just more looking at your road aesthetic. When you're out there playing and touring, it's one guy doing it all. Hopefully, yeah. with a homie there to help sling merch or whatever. But, but and and you need that to bounce off of. Like you can't develop community by yourself. Um, no, absolutely. So that's good. I'm glad you got got a support <laughs> yeah. team of like, dude, it's good. No, no, don't put the tambourine on it. It's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The tambourine sucks, dude. <laughs> Get it out of there. Side side note: tambourines and shakers are hard as fuck to add because sixteenth notes <laughs> with a shaker. Come on. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> but um, let's kind of sidestep back. What got a guitar? into your hands like uh you grew up in monroe um township yeah. right new jersey yep. central so, jersey baby <laughs> so what put a guitar under those fingers what brought that uh, what brought music into your life well that was really my dad he yeah. was um he picked it up later in his life he was probably like 26 when he started okay. playing and um he just learned a few chords and was able to get around and and kind of improvise lyrics over a few oh. chords and he had his like own little repertoire of, of songs that he had written and that definitely gave me inspiration to you know become a songwriter yeah what kind of stuff music wise what was floating around like Neil oh, Metallica um, like what what kind of stuff was your dad into my dad well it's weird my, my house wasn't it was musical in certain ways but it wasn't like there was always music on um but i do remember the first really like huge moment was i mean I, this is like probably 94 was okay. green day dookie nice was the cassette tape that i had and <laughs> yeah. that was like probably my first cassette that you know you got the walkman and just you could see this album artwork and just become obsessed right and I think I was like, 10 at the time, you know, <laughs> and just like just overly obsessed. And also Aerosmith Get a Grip, which right? was in like Wayne's World yeah. 2 and all that. And um, Aerosmith had some bangers. Oh, my God. I mean, who does it like Aerosmith, man? <laughs> They're someone beasts. Who, someone who's only heard like from what album had Pink and on. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Even though that uh, album's got some catchy tunes, Pink's fucking I, catchy. Like, I know it's goofy as I it mean, is. They they know how to put the hits out for sure. You know, <laughs> um, so those two those two cassette tapes were game changers in kind of music and also um, ACDC Money Talks. I had this um, single cassette. Too. Okay, nice. Man, like these songs were 
you know, just in my, in my headphones, I was just taken to another planet and it kind of then became the obsession of like, Whoa, this is amazing. Right. This music stuff is crazy. <laughs> um, and then the guitar was, um, so watching my dad play acoustic was definitely inspiring, but not to the point where it's like, I got to do that. But, um, seeing like green day or whatever, throw mud at people at Woodstock 94. Yeah. Um, and then it, it turned out that my uncle had an electric guitar that was actually my dad's, but he had like just, it was over at his house for some right. reason. And on my 11th birthday, that came over as like, I guess, part of the birthday gift. And it was an electric guitar. And it was like, whoa, it's, that's, it's a that's real deal. what those guys are using, man. Like, this is the real thing. And I just couldn't, I was obsessed with it that night. I remember like, I couldn't, I could not have my fingers on the fretboard. So it became a bit of an obsession there. What was the first thing you figured out? Um, it was all chords for me. My dad right. just showed me chords. It was okay. like, you know, it's D, A, G, right. a little C in there. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, almost that uh, F chord. Eventually get to the one. F, you know, the bar chords. And, and I, I, I definitely remember the one night of, of like really torturing myself with bar chords and almost getting to the point of tears of just being like so upset that you couldn't get right. it, you know? Right. And then the next day, it was like something had happened where I was able to do it a little better. And I was yeah. like, holy shit, like I could, I could do it. <laughs> um, but man, that spike, right. That little, that little, uh, yeah. uh, that spike that you have accomplished something. And like, it's cool. Cause when you find a music thing, you can really track, uh, um, progression. And yeah. like, uh, as musicians, I feel we luck out with that. Like we find the little thing and you're like, Oh, I can now play Donnelly or, Oh, I can, I, I know these chord changes. Like, yeah. You get this like uh, um dopamine rush from like figuring out little things that keeps you going that it oh, sucks absolutely. for people who don't know what that is for themselves. But okay, I digress. So it was <laughs> chords. <laughs> um figuring out these bar chords and then what? Um so then another big moment was so I didn't really understand that people could play anything they wanted to, <laughs> you know? I just okay. didn't understand that because I I'd only seen my dad play chords. Right. And he wasn't necessarily like a guy that learned songs. I mean, he knew like a couple chords of like a Neil Young tune and okay. that was cool and all, but I, I didn't really understand that like guys just like learn stuff on the radio or whatever. And then one day for some reason in school, uh, it was like, I think se I was in seventh grade and we went and there was, they called it like the, school Olympics where you just went to the gym and there were like all these stations of like different things. And one eighth grader had a guitar and he was playing Metallica songs. And, uh, I was just like, you can do that. Like <laughs> it what? sounds, it sounds silly, but I mean, I just didn't realize that that was even a possibility. And just seeing that, I was like, I have to try that, you know? So I went and, uh, bought a Metallica book and started figuring that. And then it just became a complete metalhead okay. for all of my high school years. It's <laughs> like all just old school Metallica, Pantera, uh, Slayer and dream theater was in there. Um, all the heavy, heavy stuff. And that's when it was really like, 
you know, you get into the technical stuff, right? Guitar solos, Floyd Rose Bridge, you know, like <laughs> all that <laughs> just killer, like yeah. um, dive bombs, like Dime Bag Daryl. Uh, luckily, got to see those guys before they split up, no and then shit. all the tragedy that happened yeah. afterwards. That's sick. Um, man, it was just that was that was when it was really like there is nothing else I want to do with my life than just be a musician. It was that was I imagine that was like high school, right? Yeah, okay. all high school. Uh huh. Because like with, uh, like um, listening to like a teenage dream, like you can hear like uh the metal come yeah. out, which is so <laughs> yeah. sick. And you got this pickup rig, and you got the whatever going with the acoustic guitar, where you're just like, it's there, it's there, and like the just the riffage, the song structure of that, and then when you go to the solo bits, like that's like I'm like this guy has to. Thrash it has to be somewhere in <laughs> yeah. its history, and that's it, that's where it is. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so okay, now at this time, were you trying to play with other people too? Were you trying to Yo, do the band bit? Yeah, I mean, okay. of course. Like, I never wanted to be a one man band. I never wanted to do necessarily like a solo show. Right. No one. Um, no one would because it's way more work. Why yeah, not have a homie so much... there to help you out? <laughs> like, exactly. Um, so of course, like in high school. Uh, you find a few other guys that are playing and um, different instruments, drums, bass. I mean, obviously, I was trying to at least get a trio together. So yeah. uh, drums and bass were kind of key. And then there's always like this thing of, well, who's going to sing? Right. And I was not much of a singer back then and didn't really want to sing because I was really just more of like a obsessive guitar player. Right. Um, but by necessity, it's just like, man, like nobody really wants to sing. And if they do, like they weren't too serious about it. And you just kind of do it because it needs to be done. A hundred percent. And then, I and then eventually you're like, I'm, I'm a singer now, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, I had formed a few bands and then I joined a metal band after high school. They were called POW. Okay. And, um, that kind of started the playing out and gigging and I thought it was really cool because they, they were a little more established on, on anything I had done. Like I'd always tried to kind of get it together, but never quite found the right guys to be, yeah. you know, cause you got, you have to have some kind of level of seriousness to at least say, Hey, we're going to do a gig. Uh, we're going to practice rehearse and like have our, our shit together by this day and then, and, and play. Right. And that's uh, hard to play for these people. It's hard to convince a bunch of people who are like, wait, we're going to make no money and we're going right. to put all this work into this thing. And there might not be anyone there. I don't know if I like the idea of this. You got to be yeah, a certain I mean, in level high school, of school, I don't even think we were thinking about money yet. Right. Um, but you were just thinking like, oh, well, how, you know, how are we going to at least get just people together to do yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we. I don't know. It, it was always tricky. And then joining the metal band in uh, POW was like, okay, cool. We, we were gigging out and um, I was like the lead guitar player. So I wasn't, I didn't have to deal with singing or anything. I was like, it was cool. Nice. Um, but I had, at that point I had kind of gotten into some other styles of music that were really starting to influence me in more of a, more of like a profound way than, than metal. I think I was just becoming you know, into some more like the classic rock yeah. mixed with um, Michael Hedges. I don't know if you've okay. heard of yeah, that yeah. guitar player, but um, his stuff like just changed me a hundred percent because he had that ability to play as a solo performer. And 
his compositions were so advanced and like these alternate tunings he was using in this like percussive style. It was like, man, I mean, that guy's doing it all by himself. And the fact that a few bands had like fizzled out and I was just still playing and kind of trying to put music out and stuff like that. I, it started to feel like kind of a path that might just like just be necessary in the future Mm. if I really wanted to do it. Yeah. So um, that had kind of altered my style a little bit. So, I, I eventually left left the band and then um, tried to start doing my own thing. Now, were you uh, at that point where you're hitting any um, when you were doing your own thing? Did you jump right to acoustic, or were you looping stuff with electric? When was like that move? Was it uh, Michael Hodges yeah. influence and writing so, stuff like that? Mostly, once uh, I found out about Michael Hedges, I became really obsessed with the acoustic guitar because of his pickup system and the way he was able to um, make that guitar sound. Right. What kind of pickup system is he using? Is it a Fishman or is it a... um... Well, he was, he died tragically in like the nineties. So I never got to see him live, but I had done a lot of research on him and his rig and all his songs and stuff. And back then these pickups were called a frap and (laughs) they don't make them. They didn't make them anymore by the time I was able to, you don't get enough money together to buy something. Yeah. Uh, but he used a mix of um, a frap and a sunrise pickup, which is a pretty popular pickup amongst like professional musicians. It's a, it's a sound hole pickup that's magnetic. So it's kind of like an electric guitar pickup, but for gotcha. acoustic guitar, but this frap pickup that he used was now um, kind of made by another company or a similar model. And it's called, they're called trance audio. Okay. And they make this system called the Amulet, and it, it goes in the guitar, but it's like a 3D piezo kind of pickup. Okay. And so it's able to not just pick up the surface of the guitar, but also some more like the resonations that are right. happening around the whole right. body of the guitar. So um, I got those and installed them into my like cheaper Martin model that I have. It's like a DX1. It's not all. Yeah, yeah those not are all, cool. They're Except cool. It's their... just a spruce top, and right. they have like a, a what do they call it? Like a, a compressed uh, it's wood. It's not all. Or... It's not natural wood. Yeah. Body. It's it's um like carbon fiber or whatever. Carbon fiber. There we go. I I don't know what it is, um. But so I I once I got those pickups in that guitar, it was so cool to be able to, um, blend those pickups together and mess with you know, distortion going yeah. through the magnetic and then having still the clean tone. And then you had this like percussive thing going on. It was like, Oh man. I, and then, then the looping, um, kind of was perfect for that. Yeah. That world opened up the door. Cause now this instrument is not just strings and fingers, uh, even yeah. frets. Now that's the whole body is the thing. And like, a yeah, good call with using that Martin. Cause that one, if it messed up, like at least you didn't mess yes. up a good Martin. Like <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, not that those aren't good. I don't know. They work. Yeah, no, they're, I mean, I love the one I have, but it's, it's so beat to hell right now because right? it did become the road warrior. So <laughs> it, it needs some work, but I love that guitar so much just because of like the history I have with it. Yeah. So when you were like, get this thing together, are you hitting mic nights trying to figure it out? Definitely, man. The hardest thing to figure out was how to book a goddamn gig. It right. was a nightmare. Like, did you uh did you ever play Expresso Joe's? No, but I heard of it. Okay. I'm trying to think of the other ones I know about by you. <laughs> um 
Uh, there was some. I just talked to Avery uh, 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 Mandeville from the okay. band Little Hag. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with her? I am definitely. I've heard the name. I I don't think we've ever met. Okay. Yeah. She's cool as fuck, and she used to. She was uh, used to do Espresso Joe's, and there was some other. Yeah, I, can't I remember. I remember that one being there. There was this one in New Brunswick called Cafe Fifty Two. Okay. And that New was Brunswick. really cool. Interesting yeah. place, man. Sorry, not to cut you off, but that was okay. no. so kind of expand upon that. Was that like when you were uh, trying to get yes, this looping thing together? Like trying to yeah, you're trying to get a gig, and um, Cafe Fifty Two had this open mic, and so you go do the, like a couple songs there. Uh, but then they freaking burnt down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, it's like damn it, this one place I, I had burnt down. Um, then there was oh man, so many shitty open mics, some really right. bad ones. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's when you, you sit meet through the them, homies. man. You just you just, like oh man, they were they were rough. They were rough. Um, you but, you ended up getting your first gig at the Stone Pony, right? Yeah, that was uh, that, like a Super Tuesday. They Super it. Tuesday, sick. <laughs> what up? It was no it longer was like, Monday. Right, it was all local bands. Cool. And there was a catch with that though. Like you pretty much had to sell tickets. Oh, so no. it was it was pay pay to play. Yeah. Um so. and <laughs> I was like really ambitious at the time and uh they gave you fifty and if you sold fifty, you know, you were definitely gonna be welcome back. Damn. So yeah, that's super I would like ambitious for a Tuesday. Oh man, I would like hustle around town. I'd be calling everybody and texting friends and just like, yo, will you will you buy a ticket for ten bucks and come to this show and and i you know i was young i was only like yeah. in my early 20s and people wanted to go out and you know i had a good family like half of my family would go sick and they were cool and they liked the party so like yeah. they would come out and <laughs> the bar would make money you know um and then you know you realize that you you could do that for a while but eventually you know your friends and family are gonna Get worn Stop out. Coming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I eventually it was like every two weeks, you know, you'd be playing the pony and um, trying to sell fifty tickets again, and it was it was a it was a grind, man. Because right. as soon as you stopped selling those tickets, they didn't they didn't want you to play anymore. Which is, uh, it was always on Tuesday. Uh, no, okay, so good. the first one was on Tuesday, good. but if you did really well on the Tuesday, you could get in as like an opener on like a a weekend night. Okay, cool. So oh, then yeah. there there was a cool scene there. Um, the Asbury Park was really in rough shape back then. Yeah. Um, it was like the venues were struggling. There was like tourism was, was down. Like a mm. lot of it was really beat up. Um, but like the last, I'd say, five to ten years, it's, it's really picked up. I mean, they've done amazing like renovations and it's really hopping now so in the summer it's just it's mobbed but um back then it was it was different but so you kind of had to like bring people to asbury yeah. park now now there's a little more of a walk-in thing going on that's cool so yeah but it was basically like hey man if you could uh keep this going and sell your tickets and and you you get on the bill with some like a little more established bands and that was kind of the first way of getting out there a little bit yeah. more. And did you jump from that to like DIY stuff afterwards after the, the, the burn of trying to get people to buy tickets to see you, to, you know, the burn, the burn of the homies burning the homies. Yeah. They're like, okay, dude, I know you're playing, but <laughs> yeah, I'm um, not asleep I, or whatever. 
I actually, I was just more concerned about always having gigs. I wanted to play different oh, okay. places. I feel and that. I, I guess in like, in retrospect, um, it might not have been the smartest move because like the pony is pretty much the best place you can play in Asbury park. Right. It's the biggest stage. It's, you know, it's, it's the most people, but I also wanted to like understand these smaller and intimate venues at the time. And there was a venue called the saint, which only held a hundred people. Yeah. And eventually like had a really good relationship with them and did my like album release show there. And that was just a cool place. Cause I mean, if you cram, if you can cram a hundred people in, you're having a you're having a rock show. Yeah, no, you're having you know? an insane was, time. Yeah, and so for the first album release show, we did it at the Saint, and um, we were able to like you know sell the hundred tickets, and it was just like a sold out show. You know, and it was amazing. Right. But at the Pony, that would have felt like half more than half empty. Right. And I, I wouldn't have been able to fill it back then. So it's um, like having those like different kinds of relationships was important to me because I didn't want to just play the pony and yeah um so i, I kind of ventured out and then i started doing i started doing just bar gigs too where you just play for three four hours and so, kind of build your chops up that way which um, is by a having whole, a, sorry yeah it's a whole nother mindset right when you were doing the yeah the pony like i imagine you were doing your own stuff and were you doing right. uh were you doing the the foot drumming as well did you have the the kick uh the kick suitcase and the hi-hat going yet or like uh, when did that, that all kind of like evolved real slowly? Okay, um, I'd imagine because so it's skill <laughs> the build up. It, it, all, <laughs> it all started with like, all right, well, I got this guitar that is kind of percussive, and then right. uh, the the loop pedals and and a few few pedals, and then um, eventually it was like I had this, I had like different variations of it. I had a um, kind of like a kickboard where it was like a piezo pickup on like a piece of plywood, that was like kind of the kick for a while, and then I okay. kind of adapted to this suitcase thing that would just hold my pedals too at the same time and then it was also the kick drum yeah (laughs) so it's like multi-purpose um and then i tried to just keep incorporating little bits and bit more than i threw the hi-hat in there and just kind of kept trying to expand it as as i was able to that's sick was it um so at that point when you uh did your first cd release was that put together around then or was it not? No. Not okay. I, at that time, I was still I was still playing with uh, with a band, and I was doing like half band, half solo. Okay. So I would like open the show as a solo act and do a few loop tunes and um, like a few more like acoustic style singer songwriter type songs, right. and then then there were some songs that were really cool to play with the band. So I had um, a trio back then, and. Um, Tyler Kiera and John Luberecki were on bass and drums. And, um, that was, it was awesome. You know, we were, we had a record out and we were getting on some little festivals that were around at the time and, um, kind of just try to like, you know, make a, make a little bit of a name for ourselves so that we can get out there. But ultimately I think it was like during one of those times where, um, college is happening and people's Mm, lives are starting to go in different directions and different circles of friends. And so ultimately we kind of like fizzled out and, uh, it's a little heartbreaking at the time because I, I always wanted to have a band, like just three guys or two, two or three guys you always count on and just go at it as like a team, you know? Yeah. Um, 
so it was kind of like I took a step back and obviously keep playing music because it's just what you do. But um, you just kind of take a moment to like reassess and then, oh, all right, well, this this didn't work out. So let me try something else. And I, I did really want to get the band thing going. Like that was that was still kind of my motivation back then. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot. I don't know. Us worth versus the world's a lot more appealing than me versus the world. Like right. And uh, so, like, and it. I don't know. It's interesting that um, these moments of reflection. It seems that uh, that happens to you quite often. But which it's, is a good thing. Does, is, man. <laughs> you really need to have that. You need to be able to like, yeah. assess and be in that moment and move on, um, right. or figure out how to progress. And like, um, so like, when did stuff like. After you, after the the band shutdown or the band departure, you keep going, right? And at this yeah. point, are you touring? What uh, like no? When does, no, I was, when, does, when do you become a road dog? I was I was moonlighting as a uh, as a <laughs> artist, right? Gotcha. So I was working during the day, okay, um, gigging weekends, sometimes weeknights. What was the uh, day really, job? I went to college for construction engineering, so Shit, I was nice. like. I was just like um, on construction sites most of the day. Fuck. Okay. So and then dying. I would just uh, come home. We would jam. Uh, then like Friday, Saturday gig out. Um, sometimes I'd find a spot that would have like a weeknight kind of um, open jam or or like uh, there was this place called the Stanhope House up in North Jersey where like um, they'd have gigs on Tuesday, Wednesday. I'd go up there and do some, uh, sometimes a solo set, you know, yeah. I was just trying to like really just try to, the, the dream was like, leave the job, play the music, but you know, try to get my ducks in a row so that I can right. do it. And like, actually not just like sink as soon as I go out. Cause I knew financially it was going to be almost impossible to just leave a job and just start making cash yeah. as a musician. Yeah. Cause it's not realistic. Um, like even with, I a, sorry, the, I, I'm sorry. I get so excited. No, um, you're fine. To kind of touch upon like, um, so when you started to do the bar gig thing, which is a whole different mindset, right? You're doing these three hour sets and you got to learn all these different covers. And like, even if you do one of those every night of the week, which no one would hire you if you do one of those every night of the week, cause your draw is going to be like, what? Right. But like even that mindset and taking that step and learning all that had to be kind of a head fuck going from like this solo full band like original type thing well i'll be honest with you i never really did the cover thing yeah and um i would get the bar gigs oh shit, i see it was always 70 percent original music nice um the 30 percent would usually be tunes that i just knew and loved um but i was i don't know i, I would say it's almost a fault of mine in some respect because you can make a lot more money by pleasing the people <laughs> and <laughs> right. playing songs they know. Um, but I don't know. I just never got into music for that reason. And I was just, I guess, a little stubborn about it. So yeah. I, I, I tried to keep it really to more of like the original thing. Yeah. So I, I was able to find, you know, certain bars that would hire me. And as long as people would come through the door, they would keep me sick keep me on but um then you, the winter months would come and it would, might slow down a little bit and it's like oh you're you're done next 
next spot, you know, so that, that happened often. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I guess with music that uh, like being a musician, you kind of learn to be in that flux always because of that. Like you're always a temporary, uh, commodity. This is, you're never really part of the staff. You know what I mean? Like, and I think (laughs) in it is, uh, um, isolating as it is, it's kind of like a healthy mentality too for other things. It keeps you always, but anyway, you were about to, um, I cut you into like, you were saying it's not feasible to do music full time. And then I was like, bar gigs. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sorry for cutting into your thought, but remember where you're going with that? You didn't at all. Um, so I didn't at the time think that it was going to be like, okay, I'm just going to leave my job and just make money as a, as a musician. Cause I, you know, I was doing okay. I would have gigs on the weekend and, and we would get paid, but it was never anything crazy that we're like, Oh, we're, we're doing really well. We're, yeah. we're going to the moon with this. <laughs> um, so the idea was to kind of like nest egg something up that would seem like, okay, if I, I had a couple of years to really give it a shot. How much money would I need? Um, and how much money could I make with, you know, the first two years probably being a wash where yeah. you'd be lucky if you just break even on the road. Um, so that's kind of what I did. I, I saved up some money and, um, by the time I was like 28 or so, I had talked to my friends long enough saying, man, I just want to do music full time. You know, I just, yeah. I think I had probably been saying it for five years straight. It was, they were probably <laughs> sick of hearing me say it. And, um, eventually I just finally did it. I'm so happy that I did when I did, because, um, I had eight years of, of no, no worries about it because it, it just kind of, eventually started to work out and and then then the quarantine happened but well yeah um so i feel like now it's weird it's like this transition times like can i keep going or what's what's gonna happen right yeah i feel everyone's in that in that spot and they're trying to figure out how to make it work and it kind of goes back to that like the band just left now what do we do yeah (laughs) everyone's in this weird headspace of trying to figure out how to maintain the thing or move past it but um, I was gonna say uh like <laughs> lost my train of thought. Um, bouncing back to it, like in between like all this, right? So those eight years had to be like, uh, or five years of saying you wanted to do it, like yeah. that. That's developing all those little things. You may be like my singing voice, I don't like, or my my bar sets, I need the fine tune, and like how do I mm-hmm. book gigs? You're learning all that while you're like with that that um mentality of wanting to do it full time and like it it takes time to do anything any endeavor like this full time if you're an artist yeah. and you want to own a gallery or if you're a baker and you want to own a, a bakery whatever it is or if you want to be a, a crazy guitar guy that goes state to state trying to make friends like <laughs> you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I totally understand like the 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 process of it and the unsurety cuz at least a baker Someone's gonna need a, 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 a baked stuff, and like they they're gonna come there at one point. Like um, when you're a moving entity, and like there's no guarantee of anything, and just even like the one stationary gig you had, you, those aren't guaranteed. So it, to make that jump is such a big deal, and I'm super I'm super glad you did, and like super glad you're happy with it. And I think by that point you would have had all those skills ready to do it. Um, I, there was still a lot. (laughs) I wish I, I wish I could say I did. (laughs) Um, I had been, uh, working as like 
my own booking guy for a right. long time at that point. Right. And like you said, you know, I was learning certain skills. So I knew how to book a gig at that point, which is hard. Kind, That's kind so of hard. <laughs> yeah. There, and there's no right or wrong way. Cause who knows? Maybe the Beachland booking guy likes emails with the, the, the proper font. And you're like, well, how yes. the fuck would I know? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Um, <sighs> so I like the first, uh, real tour, yeah. So the only the only thing I had going for me was when I left my job, I had a two week tour planned, like immediately right. after I left. So uh, it was like me going down to Alabama and back from Jersey. Gotcha. And it was going to be two Very weeks. Fun. Yeah. And um, the drives were insane. <laughs> it was like eight hours a day. Uh, and then it was ten hours, and like <laughs> I was going by myself. Right. No. With all my gear. And uh, I had a friend uh, who I was kind of like just paying like 10 bucks an hour to send out emails. Nice. To like all these places, right? Right. And, you know, you'd send out 100 and maybe get two, back. two replies, right? <laughs> and, and like sometimes those two replies, sometimes those two replies were just, no, we're not interested. Right. Um, other times it would be like, yeah, we'll feed you and give you 50 bucks. Um, and then once in a while you'd find one that's like, oh man, they're going to give us 150. Wow. Like, holy shit, that's gas money. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, so that first two week tour was like, this is crazy. Um, I got to drive eight hours to get to Raleigh, North Carolina. (laughs) And then the second day was going to Birmingham, Alabama, 10 hours. And man, it was brutal. Yeah. And I learned very quickly that my limits on the road was pretty much like a four or five hour drive was the sweet spot. That's a good, that's a solid limit because you start to yeah. nod off and there's not enough coffee podcast or records you haven't heard that are going to keep you awake through that shit. Exactly. And then, you know, at the, at the end of the drive, you got to play. Right. Yeah, that's so, it. And then it's like, hey, by the way, you got to be entertaining now. <laughs> yeah. To, Set up, break down, all that. Um so, uh, you know, you learn, you kind of learn your pace pretty quickly, but still every once in a while you find yourself just taking a, a shitty drive and a shitty gig just because it was the only opportunity available um, within what you were able to book, yeah. especially in the beginning when you had no reputation of being on the road and, and stuff like that. It, it was harder to, to get gigs that way. Definitely. It's so hard to get someone. Once you meet somebody your chances of like getting that yes or like, you know what, how about talk to Tom or whatever, like it becomes so much more likely than when you're just like Mm -hmm. first trying to do it. A hundred percent. Was it up? So after this first tour, when you make it back, when did you start, like you opened for John Butler, when did gigs like that start pouring in? Cause, and also Uh, that all that was very late, like within the last three years, you know, um, super late, all those good, Good, all, st- all the good things. Yeah. So after the first tour, how long did you wait to do the second then? Like, when did you just keep at it and keep trying to figure it out? I got back from that. And then, um, I was, I kind of would do things like, um, at that point, me and my girlfriend were going to go to Ireland. That's cool. And that was going to be yeah. for just a proper vacation. Like after I had left the job and stuff yeah. like that. So, so it's kind of like, Hey, uh, we go on this vacation and then I'll try to like get a couple gigs too. Right. Oh no. And that was a little bit of a mentality for that. And, yeah. um, 
it's good and bad. I don't really suggest it. I do suggest people are able to disconnect from work and just go on vacation. I've always had a problem doing that. I might be a little bit of a workaholic. I, I relate to um, that because, like, yeah. I, I, I was just talking to someone about it. I'm like, I don't really see the reason to go somewhere unless I have a gig. And then right. like, then when I get to... Utah. I want to play the. I want to have the gig later on. I want to find the coffee shop, the record store, and meet everyone who I'm there to meet. <laughs> like, yeah. And, but I need that like incentive of the gig. Like, the, I know. It's such a weird. It, like, do you think? Okay, do you think that kind of developed because it all was put on you? Like, and then I the, guess right. Or I don't I, know. I don't know. Like, I, I'm <laughs> trying, trying to figure it out. I've been thinking about it a lot lately because yeah. I've had a lot of time to think. You know. <laughs> um. You kind of in like you put yourself on the hamster wheel, right? And you just want to—I don't know—you want to like take every opportunity you can get, or make every opportunity you can for right. yourself. As as an artist, you never know when that that gig could happen that that might change things for you, right? And I guess it's that if and then if you get a little bite, it keeps you going and just makes you more manic. At least myself, right. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about myself here. I get super manic about any type of like. Uh, it, 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 I get it. Uh, any opportunity is a dopamine spike. I'm like, oh, sick. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, I no, know. we can play. <laughs> like, I know. Um, I'm trying to manage it, and I, it's kind of refreshing to hear and just have this conversation that it's, I'm not alone. Um, uh, likewise, likewise. I, and you know, like, I know many artists struggle with this. And it, it's, I think it's primarily because it's on you. you know, I mean, you made this decision to do this rad lifestyle and like, and <laughs> yeah. like, it's just, and like, I don't know, it's so much, it's so taxing because it is all of it and it is all on one person and like anything can be nothing and everything at the same time. So you got to mm-hmm. treat it like it, it is. And like, yeah, it's just a complete mindfuck, but it's almost the, the question of, um, living the work or working to live. And when you do something like this, that's such a fine line, right? Because you define yourself by like being a musician and being expressive and creative. But at the same time, like chilling out with some cats is cool too. You know what I mean? Like, Uh and it's finding that weird, okay, which, which end of the side are you on? And like how to manage that, which I don't got a good answer. I'm still trying to figure it out. (laughs) And it sounds like you are too. I'm in the same boat. I, I find that, I just love to work on this stuff. And right. sometimes I get like upset about it. I'm like, man, why can't I just chill out and relax and not take this so seriously? Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to just chill, but I'd feel better moving that amp right now. <laughs> I like, totally relate to that. It's, so. it's like this crazy energy that's in you. And you're just like, <sighs> I got to do something with it. Right. And then it results in like crazy projects or crazy gigs. But anyway, so let's jump back. <laughs> You're in Ireland. <laughs> Do you book any gigs in Ireland? I did. I booked nice. two. Yeah, and how'd they I, go? They were awesome. Sick. They were they were super awesome. Um, there was one. It was a while ago, man. Uh, but <laughs> it was in Clonakilty, and yeah. it was a place called the Barras, and it was such a fucking epic uh, historical little pub that had. Uh, amazing visitors over the years. It had like uh, Neil Young Shit. Uh, pictures and uh, like there was major rock stars that would pop in there and just like they would do quick sets and just leave. Like, Fuck, cool. Uh, so, so, so it was awesome. Um, yeah. And then there was this place called uh, Monroe's in Galway. And 
that was like a surprisingly awesome show. Um, just I, I don't really know what kind of night it was, but it was for some reason there were just people at this proper like music club venue, and I I was just the opener, and um, it just it was great. It was it was like I'm playing in Ireland, and people are like. <laughs> Go to Europe, like it. There's a different appreciation and um, attentiveness to music, is what I noticed. Yeah. Um, I think, um, they, sorry. Keep going. No, they keep just going. seem to. They just seem to. When uh, someone is there performing, they they tend to be quieter mm. than Americans. That just what I noticed. But what, what were we gonna ask? I was gonna say, do you think like post-pandemic you're going to see some of that mentality like have you noticed that with some of these uh gigs that have opened up like people are like actually caring a little bit more or uh is um, it about the same i noticed one uh situation that was really pretty <laughs> magical where yeah uh it was over the summer and it was i was opening for this talking heads tribute band in like okay. someone's backyard Sweet. <laughs> and they had signed, they had, yeah, they're called Start Making Sense. And um, that's awesome. It was like they had signs up that just said no social media. <laughs> I like and, how you described it as a situation. <laughs> okay. And I mean, people were elated yeah. for live music in, per- in person. Like it was really something special because. Uh, at that point, it had been four months since anyone was really allowed to do it. Yeah. And um, that felt great, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know that, that's, that that would just continue to happen just because I know how bars are and I know yeah. how people are when they're in bars. Like, right. they, they like to talk. Like, they go to talk most exactly. of the time. Exactly. You're, they're not there for you when you're doing the bar gig. You just happen to be there. Right. And, and the, you're there for them when they need to, like, hear you do, like some song you don't know how they play and then they try to put their phone there in your face and like it it goes like this (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah. it just goes like this and you're like it doesn't mean i know it dog all right (laughs) uh, (laughs) that's the fucking words but um so did like playing in europe open up to like um south southeast asia like that gig sounded fucking awesome and i think that's the video on your site with all the all the kids hopping up on the stage and shit that That was like amazing Right. That's the coolest video. I was like, oh, this is so epic. Um, so that happened because of just playing at my like local haunt, which is John and Peter's in New Hope, Pennsylvania. I don't know okay. if you're familiar with that venue. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask you about it because that's you would do the jams with uh, the Dean Ween guys there, right? Is yeah. that the first place you saw uh, most, uh, Moist Boys? Yes. Okay. And that's – okay. So why don't you kind of – Explain that situation with the most moist voice. I can't say it without. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you first saw them, like, uh, what what was that like? Well, I'll kind of give you a little info about John and Peters because it does kind of tie back to like my entire history, really. Because okay. it's lo- it was like local enough to you know New Jersey. It's only just across the the river there. Yeah. It's just like an hour drive from my home base, but. Um, it was like 2009, I think I just booked like, um, it was like one of those things. I knew a guy that could get me in there as like an opener on a Saturday afternoon. And then eventually the, um, the bar staff, they, they liked what was going like my set. And then I was able to get in there on the weekends. 
And so it was just a cool place to play. Um, you could set up and it was just one of those places where you literally felt like you could do whatever you wanted. Um, you, you do your original stuff and you could take them, you could jam on it and just yeah. take it out there. And nice. people were, it's a rock bar, man. It's just a place where people, you know, they have a, just a huge artistic community there. It's a huge gay population there, which always adds into it. It's same with Asbury yeah, park. Yeah. I mean, it's, Sick. it's common. Like, I mean, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And, um, the people would just come there and they would just hang out get drunk and get rowdy and listen to your tunes. They would support it. So it always became a spot where it's like, I play here at least once every couple months. Like that's just a given. And, so that was like one of those gigs I had about quitting the job. I was like, I could, I'll play John and Peters religiously. Right. Nice. And yeah. eventually it turned into, um, just once in a while, like, you know, Dean Lee would be hanging out at the bar because like Lean was on hiatus and, um, there was, uh, just like all kinds of like musical community, like musical community was happening there. The, the invitational started, uh, well, has has been going on for a long time, but eventually I got invited to do this invitational Wednesday night jam, which is um, was like kind of the Dean Ween group and other guest players. Um, but that was the bar that I had just met like a friend uh, through. He came to one of my shows, became a fan and then became a friend. And then his father owned a company that wanted to go to Laos uh, to do this fundraiser for yeah. unexploded bombs. And that was how the Laos thing happened. So it all really ties back to John Peters. That's sick. That's that, the message behind the show and the show itself. Like the videos you have on your site are so awesome or video that's on your site. Yeah. Yeah. Like what a, what an experience. Like how is that compared to like, as far as crowd interaction? I mean, they're bombing the stage, so it was definitely appreciated, but like that was in that one song, but like, how was like the their reaction to to live music compared to like uh, in Ireland and here in Europe? That was pretty special because there's such there's a language barrier, right? right. I mean, I have no fucking clue what they're saying at all. <laughs> I mean, I think they like uh, it. I don't know. <laughs> um, it, it's just it's just such an amazing medium. Music is just it doesn't matter, you right. know it. You can, it's the language that can speak to anybody. So, um, being able to play and, and see any kind of reaction was like, man, this is just, it, it just feels like nothing. I don't know. Nothing yeah. else could feel like this. Um, so their, their reaction the, over there it was definitely more of, um, it was all like benefit work. Right. So right. Uh, every day we, we'd wake up, we went to this place called the Cope Center, which was, yeah. we were going to village, like we were going to a place where they were, they were dealing with kids that were coming out of villages where they were getting their limbs blown off from unexploded bombs that were yeah. dropped during Vietnam, you know? Yeah. And so we met this guy named Pong, who he had been disabled by a bomb. He lost both of his hands and his eyesight. So, he, uh, but he had a, a deep love for breakdancing. Yeah. And so he was the inspiration for this company Aqua Survey to throw these benefit concerts. And um, the son of 
AquaSurvey's president was at John and Peter's, and he saw me, and then I became the guy to go play these concerts for Pomp. That's awesome. So it's, I mean, it's a hard kind of line to follow. It's a hard yeah. story to tell, but that's that's what happened. Right. Um, and so the first night getting there was, yeah, I was going to go. That's awesome, but I mean, the opportunity is awesome. No, I, yeah. I totally get it. Yeah, just um, to clarify. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the first night was going to meet Pong yeah. and just kind of like play acoustically and get to know each other, meet each other. And then the second day was going to the venue and figuring out logistics of um, as long as the show, the PA was set up right. And right. All the, you know, making sure your wires work with their wires, your power's working with their power, right? Outlets um, would be a thing. And then he had his breakdancing group that was, they were performing in the midst. There was like three or four Lao performers, and then I was performing as well. And then they had these breakdancing performances. And so, like, the last song for the encore, they just bombed the stage, man. That's they so just sick. came up, and it was it was really something special. So um, that kind of experience, because honestly, like, that was 2013, right? right? And I had been touring for two years, really struggling. Breaking Even was my yeah. best that I would do on the road. And, um, I was, I was going to call it quits right around then because I was just not seeing, um, the progress I wanted to see. It had been yeah. uh, two years. I thought, Hey, I might, I might've seen something by now, but then I got that call. Yeah. Was like, do you want to go to Laos? <laughs> and, I, and I was at my cousin's house in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'll never forget like, cause I was on, I was on the road and I was just like, you know, couch surfing on her couch. Yeah. And, um, I got that call and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. I, I want to go, so of course. And it, it became like kind of a transformative trip because yeah. after that, I, I, it's like, if this could happen, then anything could happen and I, I should stick with it. Right. Perseverance will equal success. And it's hard when you're in the, in the midst of it and you're in, you're really grinding it out and not seeing any, anything change. And it it sucks because like with music, you're a name into like a a brand of all these things and you're developing all this shit and it's all boring, not creative and not cool, but like it takes forever for it to be a thing that people recognize and like, and you need, you need that thing to get through it. So I yes. think that that is um, why you're a workaholic is because that gig was way too cool. And <laughs> <laughs> like, or at least why you have tendencies, because I can relate to cool gigs being like, yep, we can do this. This one decent gig is worth 400 of the shitty gigs. We're exactly. going. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So how many, how many, uh, how many nights were you there? How many gigs did you actually play? Uh, so it was a 10... 10- 10 day trip 10 day trip and okay. their plan was to have at least two shows and um one show was going to be the one that you saw there on the yeah. video and the other one was even more special and that really wasn't like publicized because it was so intimate it was right. we went to a woman's disabled center yeah in a small village and um they had never experienced a concert 
So it was just acoustic music for some very, very um, poor disabled women in this little community center that they have. They make these like handmade um, different things out of newspaper, like ornaments or purses, little things that they could sell. Yeah. Uh, This like community center was the way for them to survive. And we were, we were going there as a day just to give them a, like a performance. And so I was the guy to perform and they, they think that if there's an American person coming to this place, he must be famous. Right. And I wasn't at all. And still I'm not, but the way they treat you was like, you know, you're going to sign an autograph for this person because they think that you are the best, you know, that this yeah. is the first time they've ever heard anything like this. So that's incredible. I mean, it was just me and an acoustic guitar, no electricity. Yeah. Just, and it was, it was just like such a special moment. It was like immediately tears to my right. eyes of like, I was hoping I could get through the song. Right. Oh, and, man. um, that, that was like, uh, the, the best, the best moment of the trip. Um, other than that, I, after that experience, I, I also had, you know, knowing that I was going to be there for 10 days and they only wanted like two or three shows. Um, of course, being the opportunist that I am, I wanted to look for other opportunities. Right. And I hopped on a plane and went to Cambodia Whoa. by myself yeah. for two days. And how'd that go? <laughs> and I played a show at a place called the Equinox. Okay. Um, and I had, it was like a friend, a friend of mine who, um, is a radio guy on, uh, his homegrown radio NJ um, is their, their tag. Yeah. But, um, he had a friend who moved out to Cambodia and just was living there. And so he knew a guy that, uh, owned the bar and Damn. was able to hook me yeah. up with them and get me the gig. So I was like, if there's a gig in Cambodia and I'm in Laos and I don't go, then I'm the worst person ever. <laughs> you know, like I have to take right. this opportunity. Definitely. Um, so I did it and I, I went to get on the flight from Laos to Cambodia and it was canceled. Mm. And so they were going to try to put me on this crazy overnight layover yeah. where they were going to fly me. I was going to be like three, four hours delayed. And then they were going to fly me to like Korea huh? and then, then fly me to, Cambodia. And okay. I was like, can I just take a flight tomorrow morning? Right. And then they were like, yes. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's fine. So the day of the show, I actually flew into Cambodia and uh, took a tuk-tuk to this hotel room. The tuk-tuk's like a $7 taxi ride. Yeah. It's like in the back of a like motorcycle basket, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I just went with my guitar and my like, carry-on bag and... Um, Went to went to this hotel and then uh, had the gig that night, and then went out with the the bar owner that night, and then the next morning did some sightseeing and then hopped on a plane and went back to Laos. So it was just like a whirlwind of two Damn. days. Yeah, that's got to be like culture shock, um, a head fuck, just because like now you're playing a bar in Cambodia. Where do I yeah. play? How do I hit home? I don't know that Dead Kennedy song. I don't think they would enjoy that. Um, like, <laughs> and and it's just acoustic, right? Not even like looping or anything. No, no, I had I had okay, like cool, cool. I, 
I had figured out a way to like I minimize the gear so that I just take the essentials. So I have like a loop pedal, a little distortion, right. wah wah, whatever I needed to just okay. cool. kind of kind of get the point across <laughs> of my show. Yeah. And they were pretty good about like backline and stuff there. So they would nice. They would ask you what you needed. And they would have it all set up and ready for you when you got out there because they knew the deal. Like you were, you were already going to be jet lagged yeah. by a lot, a pretty significant amount. Yeah, um, that's so awesome. They were How good cool, about it, man. How cool! Are you a are you hip to Henry Rollins? In his oh yeah, man. okay, all right, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say you can't be doing sick shit like this and not have like heard that and got that bug in your ear. What was it? Uh... Well, I mean, not to it's it's crazy that you bring him up and not, not to be a, like a name dropper, but Sim Kane is the original drummer record. from Rollins Band. He's on the record. I know it's so fucking and awesome. So uh, yeah, obviously, I mean, I mean, it's like a tremendous fucking honor to have any kind of tie to that world, right? Oh man, like I, I'm a super big Rollins fan of his spoken word oh, nice. and his music, and like yeah. when I hear you tell stories like this, I get so envious because I'm like, oh, I want to travel and do that. That's so fucking cool, and like <laughs> and uh, getting that Rollins bug in my brain, like in high school, has always been it made me like the the weird uh, uh, gig opportunist or put me in that headset. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I will take the hard way. You know, that should yes. be fine. And like right. But yeah, that, how was it like playing with him? Because he plays, uh, Sin, uh, Sin plays with uh, Dean Ween, right? Is that how you, right. you guys met? Yeah, that's how we met um, on on those tours. And he's just, first of all, I mean, just a phenomenal drummer. I've, I, I told Sim, I'm like, I like listening to you sound check. <laughs> and that was just him like hitting the drum, uh, you know, just to, you know, yeah. kick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right, like kick Tom, like just hearing him. I'm telling you, man, he he just has a thing. He's just he's there with the with the moment, and I knew like from those tours, and I was so like taken back that he was into what I was doing as the opener, and you know through my latest album, and we kind of kept in touch, and, and I was just like, there's an opportunity to play with Sim. I would just love that. So I called him up and he, he agreed to come by and, and he cut a couple of tracks with me. Sick. And that's on a lifetime motel, uh, a lifetime ago motel. I forgot. Yes. We haven't said that yet. I totally forgot that there's even a new record coming out. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're here. <laughs> but, um, nice man. Uh, we'll put a pin in that. Cause I got, I got, <laughs> I got questions on the album itself. Cause Howard sent, okay. me, the, sent me the cut. Um, but so like, touring with him and like when you okay kind of like you're playing all the stuff by yourself at one point when it's out and i imagine you're writing it the same way so when you include like a drummer into what you do like the rhythm's there how does he like run with it or expand upon it without doing too much you know what i mean Uh, right so i kind of take a different approach to each song when Mm -hmm. it comes to like working on um I, and I know exactly what you're saying. Like if, if there's already kind of a kick, the uh, hi hat or snare vibe already going on, then what does a drummer do? So, with the studio, I'll approach every song a little differently. Um, so I might not necessarily record it in the one man band format. You know, like okay. I won't. I might just start with a guitar part and, and a scratch vocal or something just to get the vibe. Or 
with the tracks that I did with Sim, I just cut those those couple songs. Um, we just did it live together in the room. Oh, okay. You know, so I'm I'm not necessarily just like giving him a track that I've already played. I wanted I wanted that feeling of gotcha playing you know with him sick and so that that was kind of um and and i i tried to pick songs that i thought would be more appropriate for a full band expansion kind of thing as opposed to like a a loop kind of feel gotcha i always i guess that kind of goes back to what we were talking about when learning how to accept click tracks and and like digital stuff to make the song the best it can be is recording the record it's not how am I going to do this live? It's like, how can I make this the absolute um, best form of my expression? Right. That's it. A hundred percent. Like I always look at, I'm, I'm not too keen on click tracks for the most part because yeah. I don't want it to have that computerized feel. Right. But at the same time, I will go back and I will fix some imperfections. If, if it's like a really good take, but there's just like two hits that are out of the way or something. I'll yeah. fix them, you know. Well, for um, sure, yeah, yeah. And like that's just that's sculpting the the chipping away what's not needed and putting the the right thing yes. that is. You know what I mean? Like it's not um, digitally masking like a or just garbage. You know what I mean? It's it's all there. It's just fine tuning it. Yeah, I mean, and I tried to like just make each song a little bit different from the last as opposed to like, Oh, well we have this format. We're going to approach every song the same way Yeah. with the way I work. It's always kind of cut up with time. Like I'll, I'll have a session here, a session there. Gotcha. And half the time the studio has been reorganized or something's different because mm, yeah. recording some other project. So yeah. it just kind of ends up being that way. I'm, I'm kind of okay with that though, because I like when each song has a, a little bit of a different approach. Okay. That makes sense. Like, I feel like with uh, with your music and as well as like your performance, like your influences are on your sleeve, but you're wearing like a baseball tee. Like they're long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you, you you have a ton of different influences, and they come out like in a pure way, which is you. And I think it's important to do that, not to try to hide, you know, your influences and embrace them. But um, what are some tunes like uh, Sim played on? He played on "Waiting for the Kill" and. A lifetime ago, okay. which is the I think the eighth and ninth track on the record. Yep. And um, title of the record. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, actually, it's funny because it was I was gonna call the record a lifetime ago, and then it ended up being called Lifetime Ago Motel. It's like I don't know, a little play on the whatever. It's it's slightly different, but um, like almost like it's a temporary state. Like exactly. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, right. Okay. Um, cool. I was wondering so, that. Sorry. Sorry to, to keep keep harping on that. No. One. Go but ahead. That's man. A, that, I, no, it's a cool concept because like I don't I don't know the idea of like because you hit some heavy stuff in this on this record and it bounces and I guess I will unpin the the record. Let's talk about this now. Um, um, you hit some heavy stuff on it and it sounds like whatever was behind it. There's a lot of shit going on and if it's throughout a bunch of years or a few years, right. That's these songs are coming together. I imagine, you know, living the manic life that you do in a good way, um, that there's going to be all these things. And that's why the album bounces around. But it hits heavy in a lot of things. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's obviously like a divorce record. I was going through. Yeah. 
a uh, yeah. When, when did a, you get married? Like when, when all this madness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I I I got married in twenty sixteen. Okay. Yes, twenty sixteen. <laughs> um, and this is why the album is called Lifetime Ago Motel, right? Because it's it's it, it, it changed stuff, including my marriage status. Like yeah, it's just one of those things. We were together uh, for ten years before. Fuck. Um, before I had left to become a full-time musician. Yeah. And, um, I think ultimately, you know, you just don't know what it's going to be like until sure. you're in it. Right. You know? Right. And so I think I had gone pretty far down the rabbit hole of, of, you know, the full-time musician thing. And as it started to get busier, it, it just becomes more taxing. Right on any kind of personal relationship and just whatever um, wants and desires, you know, your significant other may have or or I'm you know may have had that um, it just ultimately didn't work out and yeah, so it was like right before pretty much like Dean Lean Group tour stuff happened, uh, like I had just finished the last record yeah, um, and uh, that was that was like a pretty significant time for me musically, but also a pretty traumatic time for me personally. And, um, I was kind of going through this really like super high of, you know, accomplishing a few musical things that I wanted to do. But then at the same time, you take a step back and you go, man, like there was some, uh, some major sacrifices there too. And, um, so, I mean, Fuck. ultimately, I, I yeah. just can't, I'm not the type of artist that can take the personal side out of it too well. I'm not that good at hiding that. I really look up to some of the artists that are more like storytellers and are able to separate themselves from the music. But um, at the end of the day, for me, it, it almost becomes like, you know, therapy or kind of like cathartic in a way. Yeah. So uh, a lot of this album was done, you know, with, with just this kind of big <laughs> elephant in the room of yeah. something I had to sing about and something I had to talk my way through and something I had to, you know, so it, it had to come through. And um, the big question about the approach of it was like, well, can I do this without making a total bummer of an album? You know, like I don't want to make something that's just unlistenable because it's so Right. So put you in that mood. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think with any kind of huge life tornado that happens, it's not just one feeling, right? It's yeah. not just, oh, you're depressed or you're sad or you're happy because, well, this is better because this is not there anymore. You know, like certain things are good and bad. And then there's, um, you know, like I think each song is kind of illustrating a different mood of, mm -hmm. of what it could, what it is, you know, to go through these, these kind of events. Definitely. And like, it, like you're saying, it's not like just one harped, like this is like, uh, what's the guy, an Elliot Smith album, Smith album where it's just one mood and you know what that mood is. It's, uh -huh. It kind of follows one year musical, like I was uh, influences. It bounces to a bunch of different styles and, like it's cool to hear that it's conveying all these different emotions around one thing. 
because we're people, we're multifaceted. We have all these different things for even just deciding what we want for dinner. There's a lot of emotion into that. And like, so in this record and like, it definitely bounces in that way. Like you got the song I D G A F fucking rad. And like, that is, um, that was a, it's definitely you bummed out, but it's a fun way to be bummed out. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And, you know, and that was why I was happy. I gave the album some time because right. eventually I was able to like set up in the studio and that that's like, you're practically listening to a demo on that one, but yeah, it sounded looped, but I feel like that's part yes. of what you, how you would do it live. And like, that's yeah. part of the you experience. Yes. And, um, I, for me, that was just a fun track. Like, and I wanted there to be some like definite tracks. There's like, they're fun. Right. Um, it's maybe got an attitude of like, you know, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't give, give a, fuck. a fuck anymore. <laughs> I just don't give a fuck. And I think everyone gets to that point where 100%. you might, you, you might've just become so like, uh, immersed in your own bad situation that one day you wake up and you go, you know, what? I don't give a fuck. Right. <laughs> and I, that's a good thing to get to too. Right. You know, so I was happy that I gave it time. Um, there, I feel like there is there a little more pressure for artists to be releasing music more at a faster pace, but yet there's also a bigger workload on them because they are doing so many yeah. other things that they didn't have to do historically. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. I was right? uh, um, talking to um, Chris Butler. He was uh-huh. a D. Are you familiar with him? He did some stuff in the Hoboken area with like the bongos. Yeah. And um, he uh, was in the waitresses in the yeah. Tin Huey Cleveland group. But he was, uh, we were talking about it, and he was saying that like back in the day when they got their record deal, they didn't worry about press. People, the, the, the company put that out. You know what I mean? They just yeah. did their thing. And it ultimately kind of did them over. Like the record company paid them to not make their next record at one point. Oh my god, yeah. But, um, but you know what I mean. Like it ultimately did them over because they didn't invest in that. So it's kind of cool that you have all this extra shit, but it also sucks because, like you're saying, the expectation to keep you turning out shit, which yeah. is why the singles thing is like why people are doing it, even though it's lame. Yeah, um, I get it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, kind of like, but in on this record, you. There's a a couple tunes that really hit me as like Neil Young inspired, just where awesome. your voice sits and like <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to hear. That's uh, I think this one song you said your dad knew was a Neil Young tune. Yes, yeah. Um, so that that influence is in there. I really like Moonchild. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the cool uh, trancey kind of yeah tune. Well, it sounds like that's the that one you could pull off live super easy with the one kick drum and shit. No, not mm-hmm. super easy, but you know what I mean like um. Um, I can kind of hear maybe where that came into, but this is a really cool collection of tunes and like, it's going to be rad when you put it out, which is yeah, coming well, thank out, you right? For, thank you for listening to it. Yes. Yes. It is coming out. And, uh, it March 5th is going to be the first single. Okay. And then, uh, April 2nd is the proper well, release date. Nice. So yeah. Uh, luckily like with, with the, um, the campaign and people chipping in for the red vinyl, um, those guys have like the digital download already. So yeah. it's been cool to get a little feedback from like some core fans and stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's a fucking so. banger of an album. And I went through, I did the whole spiel. Like usually when I do these, I try to do as much research as I can on, uh, I really but, appreciate that, man. That means a lot. I mean, not and, everybody does that. Well, thanks. And you were fun to research. I, by the way, I'm, I, I got more questions. I'm not done. I just wanted to, before we move on from the album, give it the right plug that it needs to have. Um, <laughs> Thank you. 
but yeah, and I kind of did the whole spiel and went down on everything on the Spotify and whatnot. Um, and like, I, I don't know. So it's a fucking rad record and anyone who's going to dig into it, anyone who's a fan of you is going to dig it. And like, it's really cool to come out of like, um, all this, that what all this negative shit with such a like cool posy product. And right. Well, I, I kind of wanted to ask you about it because I've kind of um, I relate to the 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 always hustling, the saying yes to everything that that mentality. Like so much so, like it's probably bad. I'm prob we're probably enabling each other. Um, yeah, I know, right? but um, most of my relationships pan didn't pan out or panned out the same way. You know what I mean? Where like it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're always busy. I'm like, yeah, but it's kind of what I told you would happen into this. Yeah. Like, now I'm yeah. sad, and like it never got to the point where <laughs> where it was as serious of a really like I never had a ten year relationship, but I've had like three three year relationships. You know what I mean? And like they get to a yeah. point where they're like, "Why'd you say yes to them?" I'm like, "Oh, uh, it's the gig," <laughs> and like yeah, and like I granted, know. there's more into it. It's not just me being busy. You know what I mean? That absolutely. Um, but just uh, I kind of want to wrap your brain or wrap maybe where you're coming from with it. But when you have super sick shit happen, like going on tour with the Dean Ween group and being like this, like ants, uh, constant, like uh, amount of like uh, just positive shit happening and always being excited about shit. Like I hung out with the guy I play with Henry Rollins and like, <laughs> you're calling her and she's like, yeah, when are you going to be home? You know what I mean? Just like the, get the, like the duality of all this exciting shit and at the same time this like bummer shit like how do you how do you maintain my dude like how do i get through this (laughs) this is a personal (laughs) (laughs) well i mean that's Uh, a great question and uh (laughs) i i don't know that i have the answer um i think that's a lot of the reason why musicians end up either with like another musician or someone in the arts um, because of that reason, there's a little more of an understanding of that's just like the, this, that's just the work, the the makeup of the work life. Right. Uh, You can understand it and then you can give that person the space that you know they need. And then you can also trust that they would be responsible with whatever, circumstances are yeah. coming up right because it's easy i think when if if your partner is on the road and i if i put myself in her shoes right then i could see getting just nervous worried you know maybe yeah. some insecurities of feeling like oh well you know what if uh, something happens tonight. What if right. tonight's that night? And what um, it, yeah, what if it goes too well? <laughs> like right, right. And I think when you actually do it, and you, you know, you do like the little backstage life that people think is so glamorous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you see, once you see it a few times, you kind of go, oh, all right, well, this kind of sucks. <laughs> There's not even uh, pizza. Like this is yeah, cool. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so I think when, like, the other person, like, fully understands that and they, they understand a little more of the struggle, that they might celebrate some of the high moments with you a little bit yeah. more just because just cause they know because they've actually had to go through the amount of time right. of the struggle. I think the 
it's hard to get perspective on something when you've never done it or never had to experience it, like waiting around to play or waiting after a gig to break down your shit and get on the road. Like the amount of work that goes in that you're actually just kind of focused on getting to the show, setting up, getting a bite to eat, playing, breaking down, hopefully connecting with a few fans. And that's really what gives you the fulfillment, hopefully selling some merch and feeling good at the end of the day. Yeah. And then that's really like what that's it. Right. Yeah. And so the other stuff, like the, all the bullshit rock star cliche stuff, I, it was never my bag. I was never into that. Um, and it doesn't happen. Right. Well, it didn't, it didn't happen for me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let's, let's, let's open up the door for everyone else in the world. I can say I've never experienced that cool shit, nor do I care for it. I relate with what you're saying a hundred percent. And like, I don't think I'm even like, um, psychologically built the right way to, take advantage of those kind of situations right. if right. it was thrown in front of my lap. Right. So, um, that's kind of the fine line. I think of understanding a relationship with someone who's in the creative field. And I think it's really hard on any, any partner to anybody who's out on the road all the time. It's right. not necessarily fair either. Yeah. And, um, Definitely. you know, you have to kind of understand that. Right. But, um, yeah, quarantine puts that in perspective in a whole, a whole other way. Um, yeah, where you're where you're home, and, and then you you realize that then there's home life, and then there's dealing with some of the just mundane, normal, everyday things, right. dishes, and you know, food, and laundry. I mean, it's just a very different, um, different kind of struggle, right? Yeah, you gotta keep that exciting. Right, the mundanity of that, and like I think, how you escape that is with who you're with, and like yeah. seeing that, like when you're on the other end, so you're you're coasting by yourself for so long doing the day to day thing, and like someone out there is, I don't know, it makes sense because like, or even just the idea that your partner is doing this thing that brings them that much fulfillment, and maybe you're not, uh, you know what I mean, like in trying to find what that is, so you can do that too. And then when someone else is already self-established and someone else isn't established, like mentally and personally with what their endeavors are in life, there's that um, almost um, uh, feeling shitty about it. I can't think of the word. Uh, jealousy. <laughs> Je- yeah. like almost jealous in a way that – but not not to the point of jealousy. Jealousy is a little too strong. Just kind of like a little self-deprecation because you haven't found that thing yet in like – um, someone like you or someone like myself who is manic and like has found like if I keep pushing the string this way, some people like it and I'm gonna keep yeah. doing it. And Absolutely. like, <laughs> um, it's so it's that's in it. I really think that's a good perspective to take with it. And um, was are you in? Are you back in New Jersey now? Is that where you at? Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm I'm in uh, New Jersey. I just uh, moved into an apartment in Heightstown, so I've been okay. Holding up there for a little Shit, while. Can't my make sound in an apartment, man. No, yeah, but I got the studio in Monroe, so I'm good. Okay, nice. Yeah, nice. Um, so we're good on that. Couple, I got a couple other questions about a bounce topic, but I thought that was solid advice. Um, so a couple road stories I've been wondering about. Um, there was a time in Texas you got pulled over. Oh yeah. And like, wow, you were you you did a deep dive, man. Nice. <laughs> And like, if you want to tell that story, like that's an amazing story. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. So 
We, uh, I was on the road. This is actually with my ex-wife at the time. And yeah. um, we were going from, I think it was Amarillo and we may have been traveling. We might've been traveling to Amarillo that day. And I just typically like have a lead foot. I, it's a bad habit and I'm <laughs> trying to, I'm trying to stop right. it, but it's a Jersey thing. I don't know. We, we have fucking issues here. And, um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm cruising. I was like doing 70 something in a 55 and you know, the cop sees me uh, naturally and pulls me over. And, um, I mean, this point I'm a full-time musician. Yeah. I really did not have the money for right. a, a ticket. ticket. They are hefty, man. Like I've yeah. gotten plenty of speeding tickets. They suck, especially out of state. I mean, it's like yeah. 600. Fuck. Sometimes you got to hire a lawyer just to like make Shit. sure you don't get points. And yeah. it's like, oh man. So he came, comes to the window. I was really pleading with him just saying, man, I'm, I'm a musician and uh, I, there's no good excuse for me speeding. I, I'm just trying to get to the next show down the road. If there's anything you could do to uh, give me a ticket, it would be just, it would just make my day. And, and, um, he walks back and he kind of just takes my, yeah. you know, my, my, uh, license and registration. And it didn't seem like he was having it. Yeah. And he's oh, back shit. at the car for a long time. Yeah. And I'm thinking, Oh no, <laughs> I am fucked. Yeah. Like this, I am getting like, not only am I getting a speeding ticket, but he's writing up like a reckless or, you know, because <laughs> I've made that happen too. Oh no. And, uh, he comes back and he goes, I'm going to let you go this time, but Sick. I want to see the big red suitcase. Oh, <laughs> he's back there Googling your shit. Yeah. <laughs> so he actually went back and like checked out something and he like saw it was like the big red suitcase tour. And I was like, man, you are the best. Dude. Would you please take a picture with me? And like, yeah, thank you for, you know, not giving me a hard time. And I'm sorry I was driving so fast. And uh, that was just like an <laughs> awesome moment. That's awesome. And did you give him like a CD or some shit? Did he come to I, the show? I don't think like, he, I don't think he, he, he actually kind of said like, hey, you know, you could take your picture and all that, but don't say anything about the. Yeah. This, uh, jurisdictions police department, which I didn't obviously. Yeah. But, of course. Um, he, was, he was super cool about it. Um, I don't think he wanted a CD. I might have offered him one. I didn't, he didn't seem interested. He was just like, get out of here. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Stop speeding uh, through my town. Yeah. <laughs> or if you do speed out and like, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. it. Wow. And honestly, it wasn't the, the first time I had been pulled over in Texas and let off. Like that was yeah. like way, way back. Um, it was before touring or anything. It was just a cross country trip and, Another incident had happened, and the Texas cop let me go. So, I mean, very Texas. grateful to the te Texas, Texas police. At the Thank moment. you very much. Yeah. I, they have to deal with a ton of speeders. Come on. Uh, what's, yeah. what's there to get through desert? <laughs> like, Right. Um, another tour question I had was in Chicago, apparently you lost a tooth somehow. <laughs> yeah. And like it was a front tooth, and I have like this yeah. weird fear of like I play a lot of harmonica and me getting yeah. too into it and bashing out my own tooth somehow. And like, yeah. so what happened? Well, this was uh, the cause of stale uh, Chicago pizza. Oh no! Oh <laughs> no! That's even more horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I had an incident when I was younger where I had chipped a tooth real bad playing yeah. basketball. Yeah, uh, my front tooth, and it had gotten so it was such a bad chip that they had to carve it out and put a post in there and all that. Okay. Not not a post, but they had to do a uh, a cap. Yeah, yeah. 
And so I had this cap on there for years and never really thought much of it. And I was, I should have probably just been more cautious with it from the right. get go, but I'm like chomping into this piece of pizza, like after a late night show and sleeping on someone's couch. Yeah. And, uh, I'm like taking a bite. I'm like, Oh no, just... like this one was extra crispy. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no, man, there's my fucking tooth in there. And, um, Fuck. Uh, so I spit the tooth out. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, I still got like five more gigs on this rock. And, yeah. uh, I, I was literally couch surfing. Have you heard of the, um, the, the website couchsurfing.org? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've done that yeah, a few so, times. And as far as like yeah. doing what you're doing, that's clutch, especially yeah, if it's in it, Chicago in the winter or whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it was the winter. Um, so van life so ain't we, cutting it. Yeah. <laughs> Fan life was not cutting at the time. Uh, so I was staying with this lovely woman, Karen, and she knew a dentist. <laughs> she took oh, no me shit. to the dentist the next morning. And um, he looked at it and he's like, you know what? You'll be fine. Yeah. I'm not going to work on this today. Uh, okay. I don't know that I had insurance that would have covered it anyway in, yeah. in Chicago. Um Luckily, I had insurance at home. I was able to yeah. get my tooth back in. But um, so he said, "You'll be fine. Um, you know, you're not in any pain or anything. But uh, you know, your next five shows, you look a little funny." <laughs> and um, so I just, you know, I just Rode grinned and bared it, you know, <laughs> like, and uh, did the last five. And, and that was like a two month tour too. So that Damn. one, I had to. I was lucky that it happened then. You yeah. know, it was yeah, like yeah. on the last last week of it. So. It was hysterical, man. Was yeah. Just, well, I have to play a few more banjo tunes on these sets. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, man. And uh, that's awesome. Like, that's cool that it was not, okay, the whole thing is awful, but it's awesome that it didn't hurt or wasn't serious. No, I was, it was a cap. It wasn't that bad. I, yeah. I got back and a dentist got me got me looking all right and got a tooth nice. in there. <laughs> um, I'm always afraid of, like, the next thing that's going to happen to that tooth because I know uh, it's the next thing's not going to be so fun. Yeah. But Fuck. Let's keep it that no, way. I don't want to think um, about that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know why the teeth thing freaks me out. Like, I'm always afraid yeah. for my front choppers that they're going to fall out. Yeah. And, like, I was like, oh, shit, it's happened to them. Um, <laughs> yeah, luckily it wasn't the harmonica thing, though. Okay, yeah, yeah, because uh, you, you play harmonica. You've got that on tracks. Yeah. Um, yeah. When, okay, well, this is kind of a tie-in question because um, I wanted to dive in a little bit more. So... For me, when I was graduate, you know, before I was going into high school, I found the John Butler Trio, and that cracked my brain open in so many ways. I'm like, I can learn more than guitar. This is so yeah. cool how this guy does that. So ever since then, I've been working on banjo, lap steel, and I was working on harmonica before that, and like in trying to incorporate it into all my bullshit, and like, um, we, we, how one. How was that fucking gig? That'd be cool. And like, what kind of got you going into the multiple instrument level, and then and like including it in your solo sets? Like, because banjo is not an easy. Just it is and it isn't. You know what I mean? As far as like playing the open tune stuff, it's a little more yeah in that ballpark. But the finger picking things really what makes uh the rolls make banjo banjo. Absolutely, and um, it was something I. Um, I just, I always kind of thought banjo was just awesome. Um, yeah, it's just an amazing sounding instrument. It adds so much to like classic Neil Young tracks. I, I right. like it in, in like the rock format a lot, even though it's, you know, primarily like a bluegrass instrument and that's a whole nother monster. But, um, 
I got the banjo for it was like a Christmas thing, you know. It's like I think me, me and my dad both chipped in half to buy this this banjo. Nice. And um, so <clears throat> I I got it, and uh, I only found like an interest in other instruments, and I think it. I almost look at it as a little bit of um. I don't know. It it could be like. I find that guys that get really successful are really, really good at one thing. Yeah. Right? Like it might be right. shredding or just they're the most amazing finger style guitar player or they're the most, the best classical guitar player. But, um, I seem to have interest in like, Oh, well, maybe if I learn piano or maybe if I learn uh, this drum fill or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just, I, I love playing all different types of instruments with guitar being obviously the heavyweight. You yeah. Know? Um, but, um, when I got the banjo, I, I liked it a lot because I, I picked up like an Earl Scruggs book and oh, which one, um, is it? The, uh, it's like the, the Scruggs, quintessential book. I think, Scruggs um, in the five strings. Yeah, that's it. Or the five string banjo. Yeah. I got yeah, that book it. too. And it yeah, breaks and it down I, and got all the songs in the back and the yeah, techniques I mean, it shows in the you front. How to freaking build one if you want, you know? Yeah. 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 It, it tells <laughs> you everything about it. It's yeah. It's silly, informative book, like as far as banjo is concerned. Oh, that's yeah. so sick! <laughs> yeah, so I just took it real slow with that book, right. and and just yeah, worked on the rolls, and right. I was just so impressed by how it helped the guitar playing, because you know you have to get really, really good with your right hand in a different <laughs> way than you do on guitar. It's just, um, it's just different focus, and um, that was kind of for me a little bit of the turning point like oh man this instrument is so much of yeah. a uh it's just as challenging as guitar if you know and um I, I pump the brakes on it a little bit i only do a few tunes on it yeah but i'd like to incorporate a little bit more but i just um i haven't been like practicing enough i guess gotcha. or just w taking it out enough it's hard to do the finger picking thing and the foot stomping thing yeah you know i mean like um, and like with the pickup system in a banjo, it's not, it's not, yeah. you can't, you can't run it through dirt. You know, you can't do cool shit with it. It doesn't, it's not as cool as I a guitar. Put a, like uh, I put a Telecaster pickup on mine upside down so that it actually faces down on the strings. Like I built these posts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's pretty cool cause you can run it through distortion and stuff and it, it, Sounds pretty damn good. I think that's what I'm gonna be doing. <laughs> like, that's amazing. Like, on it's the top cool. of the banjo or like underneath the head? It's on top of the banjo. Okay. Yeah. So it's like I have like these two posts coming out Sick. and they just kind of hold I it. turn it upside down so that, yeah. And it, it sounds rad. I mean, it, it's really cool, but it's not, it's not like your typical banjo sound, right? It's right. It's got a little more of a tin electric vibe to it. Okay. Dope. It's like a real banjo player, like the bluegrass banjo player, would just roll his eyes and go, "This this guy's crazy." Right Intended, right? You'd backwards roll him, <laughs> like, right? <laughs> uh, reverse roll, my bad. Um, yeah, but um, that's fucking sick. So with the John Butler thing, was that just a one night, like in Jersey yeah. or whatever? Was yeah, that cool? no, that was. Uh, so that was at the Capitol Theater, and um, oh shit. It, I didn't get to play the Capitol Theater stage. I got to play the, uh, there's a Garcia's, it's a connected bar. It's basically gets you oh, into okay. the cap, right? Gotcha. So I got to play like kind of the opener spot of the Garcia stage. Still, that's sick though. Well, it was, it was amazing. Cause like the John Butler trio fans get it, you know, they, yeah. they understood like where I was coming from and like, 
I got to see his sound check and like he was doing all this cold loop shit and um his show was just fantastic that night. Um so Do you remember who that, it was with? Like, who was uh, on the bill with him? Um was it Love? No, that's a different show. I forget. Cuz uh, I have trying, to look back. I'm trying to think was it State Radio 2018? That might have been it. Or maybe I'm thinking 2011. That would have been like 2011. Yeah, no, that'd be way back then. Because I did an alternative break tour with State Radio when they did a, it was like their nonprofit. Nice. Yeah, which is insane. So I was part of that team, and one one run of it was with the John Butler trio. And like, oh man. So I was like living the fucking dream, hanging out with all the the heroes and shit. And I was like, oh my God. Oh man, that's sweet. You know, you couldn't meet, like, the John Butler team was on their own thing. So you really didn't get to hang out with them, but I would still try to. And I'm like, that would be so serendipical right now if that happened yeah. to be one of the things and we're talking about it. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Um, but that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was cool. I didn't, I didn't get to meet the team either. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. they, I, I honestly, like he's got so much shit going on. He's yeah, flying yeah. in from Australia right. to play these shows. So I can't imagine it's easy to like network with everybody and For even sure. know even know that there's an opener of an opener on, on the <laughs> stage. Right. But um, it was like a huge honor just because, I mean, the Capitol Theater is just connected with just great music in general. And yeah. just to be on any stage within the the whole proximity of it is good enough for me for now. You know, I, w- I would love to play the Capitol Theater proper, you know, but. One day, my not, friend, not yet. <laughs> um, when the pandemic shifts. Um, yeah, right. One final question. It's kind of completely off topic, but it might be. Do you got the the Sims give you any or Sim give you any uh, sweet Henry Rollins stories? Like some like crazy like road stories with those guys when you were touring well, with the Dean Ween. I'm always like just in awe of the gotcha. type of things that he'll yeah, say yeah, yeah. like <laughs> about them opening for the chili peppers. Shit. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, wait, okay. Yeah. I forgot. Sorry. You fucking open for the chili peppers. <laughs> and like the chili peppers were huge Rollins fans. Yeah. Um, so much that at one point in the career of, um, the, uh, the chili peppers, they were switching management, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Rollins had been the support for one of these tours for a long time. And their, uh, chili peppers management was changing and they, for some reason, didn't want Rollins to support chili peppers anymore in this upcoming run. And apparently like the chili peppers loved the Rollins band so much that they said to the management, they said, if, Henry Rollins band is not supporting us, then you're not managing us anymore. Oh, shit. So, I mean, they had like a serious respect for them yeah. as, as a group. And, um, like that little nugget of information was just like, fuck. I mean, you just open for fucking chili peppers. I mean, it's like insane to me. Um, that, yeah, that is. Cause chili peppers are one of those groups. I don't know. Like that for me, like in high school, that was one of the groups, like oh, of the, course, the band of bands. You're like, Oh shit. Yeah. And like, I mean, they're like one of the last, you know, rock existing proper bands that yeah. stay together as like the four guys. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, In tragically, they lost their guitar player yeah. early on. But, um, you know, for Shante is pretty back. much the guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's back now. Um, uh, but yeah, that's yeah. Sick. I mean, it's it's crazy, man. Like that just getting those little that that's like a fun tidbit just to like hear that. And be like, oh, man. 
You've, you've done some crazy ass shit. And we're hanging out with the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> right? What are you doing here, dude? Why are you? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Keith, thank you so much for hanging out with me for these last like two hours. It's been a fucking oh, this blast. This was great, man. Thank you so much for um, like all the just the great questions and all the research you did and, and, and listening to the record and all that. It means a lot. Likewise, man. Thank you for thanks for checking out my stuff. Thanks for doing this. Um, and yeah, man, I'll plug everything at the top. I'm a I'm a sign off here, but not hang up. So I'll see you. Just waiting for the kill.